Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're talking about what? Tips for first time GM. Okay, go. <laughs> so, so earlier this week, I was on MeWe. MeWe. He always has to tell the story from the very beginning. So, And this young lady said that this upcoming Saturday was going to be her first time GMing. And she was asking for advice. About GMing the first game. So was she asking a bunch of grumpy old GMs how to? No, they're very helpful people. Okay. They they definitely was, there was a lot of positive information. Nobody was being negative or anything. That's nice to hear. Yeah. So you know, I gave him my 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 short. By short, he means twenty two paragraphs. No, no, it was very short. I mean, it's it's like Facebook, right? It's, you know, you just give short things. But the more I thought about it, I go, well, what kind of tips? After thinking about it a little bit more, what better arranged or better thought out tips can we have for a brand new gm okay thought out and arranged are two totally different things because i wrote down a bunch of stuff for you but it may not have been thought out <laughs> or arranged in any particular order well okay but i can tell you what i put down first thing if first you've thing. never gm before i would suggest that you do it for people you know friends and family are good victims i mean and the reason participants because you're more comfortable with them you don't want to have your first game that you've ever GM'd be at a convention or a, a public place where you don't know who's going to sit down because there are a lot of people in public spaces that will not be nice to you. Okay. They're there for whatever their agenda is. Maybe they want to have fun, but they're not quite the nicest people in the world. Oh, right? yeah. There's some jerks out there. I give you that. There's some jerks that won't play, play not along nice, right? If you are a first-time GM and you have you know uh an adventure that you've come up with or bought and you want to run an adventure and sure enough you know you know things things happen in a in a game like that i think is you know they can be railroady and i think you know that's okay and especially for a first time gm and so you get a guy there or a lady who's contrary doesn't want to go on the quest and I, i'm using quotes air quotes here and doesn't want to doesn't want to go along with the group for for whatever reason you know it has they're playing their own agenda their own game and so that could be really problematic and if you're a first time gm you know that is really tough because it's just another thing that's added on to your tableau of problems or things to do not only if you're a first time gm if you're if you've been gming for a long time and somebody does that it kind of throws you off just a little yeah, bit true. maybe yeah. just for a minute maybe for a half hour maybe for but a first time gm it'll be really it'll really up. mess you yeah. up yeah yeah so that is pretty important for me. I you know, I was just like, what, what what is the biggest problem for first time GM? For me, I think is that they're really nervous. That they're really, you know, and obviously she was nervous this first time GM because she went out and asked a bunch of strangers, you know, about what she could do to make the game better. And so basically, I told her, you know, first thing is to relax and remember why you're playing. And for me, it's rule number one: it was you're supposed to have fun, and because you're supposed to have fun. And because you're supposed to have fun. You can't get all, you know, tensed up and have anxiety. You have to relax. You got to breathe. You got to... And remember that people are there to have fun. And and if you're playing with people that you know, then it's even more easier to It'll be that. easier for you to be relaxed. Yeah, yeah I and agree. And if you are a first-time GM, you should know that Saul has been GMing for, I don't know, 40... No, no. Well, I was trying to figure that out myself because I'm 30 like, 30-something years. Yeah, because I've been playing for... I think I played in 1978, which I was 11. So I've been playing for 41 years or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, so... And I GM'd like three or four, four years after that. 40-something years minus... 30-something so years. Like I said, 
No, 41 years I've been playing. So I've been running games for, let's say I gave myself five years. So 35 years. So 30, 35. That's what I said. So it's been a long time. And I thought about that because right? it had been a long time since I first GM, very first time GMing. And I don't remember, you know, I honestly I don't remember what game I first ran. I've, I mean, I remember it was Dungeons and Dragons. And I remember it advanced Dungeons and Dragons. But I don't remember what game I ran or what what the adventure was. Whether it was something I made or something that was we bought, we didn't buy a lot of published material because it was not, uh, you know, my story. If you've been listening, you know, I, there wasn't a game store in my town, and the nearest place I think was Monterey, which was 26 miles away and by car. So you know, a kid couldn't usually get that far easily. But I think my friends bought Against the Giants, which was the giants the classic giants adventures all grouped up into one booklet because they were against the hill giants against the frost giants against the fire giants and you would buy each book adventure module separately and then they came up with the combined module where it had all three of them in one so my friends bought it and i think i ran we were all supposed to run one module because it was three of us plus my brother felipe who was not involved in that situation but i don't remember who who ran what and so i and I'm sure that was not my first adventure that I ran. Anyway. So it was a long time ago, but I, and I can't remember exactly how I felt or what what things I did. He never actually let me say what I was going to say. Oh. Because you have run games for that long. He still gets butterflies before oh. every game he runs. Whether it's at home, at a convention, it's worse. At home, it's not so bad. Because I kind of have him trapped here, right? You know, Because I invite him over to my house. I lock the door behind him. <laughs> and and I ply them with food and stuff sometimes. So yeah, I am more comfortable at, at home games. So everybody gets nervous, right? Everybody's gonna get a little bit of butterflies, especially if you're running at a convention or you're running at a at at a table where you don't know everybody at the table. I usually just sometimes have, you know, there's a lot of uh, what is it organized play and organized play. You know, any almost anybody can play. You know, in fact, anybody can play. So you, you may not know everybody who's sitting at your table. So running for strangers, like Jolene said is much harder than running for people you know and and been playing with for a long time. And this young lady had been playing with a lot of people for about a year, and she said that her, a lot of the players were like long-time GMs. So she, I think she was a little bit nervous about, you know, the performance of her performance compared to theirs. But I think if they were like any reasonable and nice person, they would realize that this was your first time GMing, and they're not going to like hopefully be jerks to you. All I have to say is that if you are running for GMs, just try to stay calm and they'll usually be nice. Sometimes it's it's that is a lot harder, especially if they run that game or know that game well or Yeah, I don't know. It Maybe. can also make it easier. The other things you should probably know are you need to know the rules of the game you're playing. Specifically, you probably want to know the combat rules because that's what a lot of people get into. That's where right. the rules come in, right? I have that as my second thing exactly. Call me my notes. But the second thing I had was know the basic of the rules. Now, you don't have to know every rule, but you got to know the, the basic mechanic of how things get resolved. The resolution mechanic is what they usually call it. And in D&D, you know, it's roll a 20-sided die, you know, you add your skill, get to a difficulty number, and you pass, or you made it. You know, some and every game is different. You know, GURPS is three six-sided dice. Star Trek Adventures is two D20s modified by a bunch of other stuff. So as long as you know the basic rules, I think it's pretty good. You think you're, that's the bare minimum you should know. On that, I would suggest that you don't run Shadowrun as your first game because the rules are very complicated for resolving anything. Yeah, the, the basic rules. I don't even know the basic rules. I've been playing for running for a couple of times. 
you know, she's been playing D and D for a year, so I think she knows those basic rules pretty well as far as from the from the player side. Uh, from the, it's just a little bit different from the from the GM side. I mean, you, you realize that just running lately for us, uh, the the games, how just slightly different, you know, because you knew your rules of how to run your character. I know magic rules, right? Basically, which and combat. In, I didn't. I well, I do rely on people to help me because. I usually play with people who have been playing or read the books backward, forwards, and upside down. and So it kind of makes you a lazy player. <clears throat> it makes me both lazy player and lazy GM because <laughs> when you're playing with the guys who have played for 30 years or kids who have read the books since they were six years old and know the rules backwards and forwards and understand the mechanics, it makes it a lot easier to be lazy because I can rely on other people to answer those those burning questions of which die do you need to use if you're doing this combat role. And a lot of that comes from playing Pathfinder with the kids, right? Because yeah. they're very into into knowing exactly the way the game works because they want to make sure that they're getting a fair shake in the game, right? They're worried that you're going to not let them do exactly what they want to do so they know all the rules just to make sure that if you say they can't do it, then they can explain to you why they should be able to, right? Yeah, there's all kinds of weird things about that. I, I don't know. I mean... I played Advanced Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid, and it's nothing like it, nothing like Pathfinder, definitely, or three point five, where or where the crunch was getting pretty high. But by the time five point oh is, or five whatever it is, D and D fifth edition has taken a lot of that crunch out. Yeah, yeah, but it's still you know there's still that there's still some crunchiness left. People always tell me, and I don't always understand why you have an advantage or you don't have an advantage, right? Where you have to roll the two dice and take right. one of the numbers. It's I, just advantage or not advantage, right? Yeah. So if you know the rules, basically, if you've been if she's been playing for a year, then then she probably does know the rules at least for her character, right? And if you read the player's handbook, then you understand how the game works. Yeah. The only difference is when you're you have to think about your NPCs and your monsters, right? And I suggest if you're a first-time game master that you make sure you print out and have in front of you your monsters and your NPCs. So when they do come into contact with people, if somebody asks you a question, you can look at the sheet to see what you're supposed to do, right? You don't, oh, yeah. or, or you, you don't have to know them inside and out right? like you would your character, but you do have to know everything about how they're going to play. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you say print out because, like, you know, years ago when I was a kid, you know, printing out the the monsters was like you know, almost unheard of because photocopying and printing in the home was un was didn't happen. So they they would sell you or you could buy these monster sheets. They were like character sheets, but you would fill in all the pertinent information for the monster. So you could have that at the game table instead of having to look it up in the book. So, you know, things have changed. So now easily you could print out the all the stats of the monster, have them in your notes and there you go. It was, it's super easy these days. But you're right. I think uh, having that information available and knowing uh like the basic rules is pretty important i think uh you don't need to know all the rules because you don't you know you don't need to know you know everything front and backwards like you say because it's just not possible not everybody knows every you know nobody can know all the rules there's a few people out there that possibly can but for the most part most people don't memorize the whole player's handbook i mean that's the rules of the game uh the the 
GM's guide is just a lot of tips and a lot of charts and stuff like that. And the monster manual, of course, is just all the monsters. But but the player's handbook, you know, if you've read the co- section on combat, you know how spells work, and that's basically it. I think it's not terribly hard. It's not super easy either, but... And when you're nervous and anxious, you might forget things. So just know that just that's why the first rule is to relax and to have fun. Is should be at the front of your mind. The next thing I think that you have to know as a first-time GM is your adventure. So if you're running a module, <laughs> I would suggest reading it. Uh, people always say read it twice. I would suggest reading it like four or five times. Maybe not that much but no at least it depends on if it's going to be one session or not and i would say make your first game short don't run a campaign run a it was funny that you say that because i have i do have you know number two is know the basics and then i have 2.5 which is know the adventure you're running so you're right there's two things there's two ways you run a game there i mean modules or whatever there's one that you make up and there's one that you buy that definitely jolene is right on the target there with you know, make sure that the adventure is not this super long campaign because that's too much information. You want something that's short. I mean, depending on, like, how long you want to run. Uh, or, you know, if if you're, like, just want to test in the waters and want to run one or two sessions, you know, <coughs> you could run a uh, uh, an adventure that will that could lead to a bigger campaign style. And because, you know, I think a lot of times this happens is because you're trying to give your GM a break from GMing. Oh, you know, I've been playing for a year. They haven't. They've been running games for a year, you know. And I'm see. I'm sure they want to play. So you're gonna give them a break and play. And then, and then it's really nice. I think that's commendable. So you're right. Know the adventure. I don't know about reading it ten times or something like that. I didn't say ten. <laughs> but you know, I definitely read it twice because after because you read it reading it once, you're like, okay, I, I think I know. And then second time, you're gonna miss everything you, you did the first time. If this is a pre-published adventure, then after that you can skim and you can reread parts that you think you know weren't all that clear to you the first time and stuff like that. And basically, you just like almost don't have to look at the book or this module to to run the adventure. Well, you can write down things in your in your notebook if you have a notebook. I would suggest having a notebook. <laughs> Definitely have a notebook. So you will have a notebook, and I think it's good because sometimes a published module you might not agree with some of the stuff that's in it you know you don't like a certain thing that happens in it or something that you know or a certain character or a certain non-player character i should say or something you don't like about that module you should be able to change and so when you change things you should write that in your notebook you now try not relate you know do not try to rem- remember oh yeah i was going to change this character's motivation or or this npc's uh, action here or whatever or whatever you know i don't like writing in my books you know i've never really been that type of person so definitely have a notebook to make any changes that you see in the module that you don't like if it's your own adventure then it's super easy because if you came up with the adventure you know exactly what's going on you know the motivations of the npc you know the plot i mean because you you just remember it because it's something that you created. Definitely read the module. Definitely help. And then the most important thing is to know that no matter what you do to prepare for it, your players are going to do whatever they want. So expect <laughs> the unexpected. Know that when you ask people which way they want to go, what they want to do in this situation, present the situation to them, they're probably going to come up with something that you hadn't thought about. You have to realize that when you're running a game or you're, you know, if you're writing the module, you know, the adventure or you buy one, the characters are not going to do everything that's been written out, written out or guessed as to what the characters might do. 
So a pre a pre made module a lot of times has suggestions about what the players are going to do, or it tells you, you know, this is the situation. Right. And when they do this, this happens. Yeah. Well, sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah. And I would say that a lot of modules were written in a railroady style. Oh, definitely. Where, you know, they're expecting the players to do something, but in my experience, players don't do that. So it's okay. I always tell Saul, have a backup plan. Let them do whatever they want. Because that's, you can't always bring them back to, or move your setting or things like that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's not much you can do about controlling players once the game has started. You know, it's like, what do they say about war? You know, all the the best plans made for war go out the window as soon as the first shot is is fired, right? My, my third one was know your players. Whether you have a session zero or not, you should talk to your players and definitely have an agreement as to or get an idea of what they want out of the game, the players. Do they want a, you know, because you might have a great idea for like a mystery adventure or intrigue adventure, and your players might just want to like lay off some, you know, lay off some steam. Is that what they say? Let off. Let off some steam, you know, forget about accounting and counting beans and corporate troubles or whatever their jobs are, and just want to kill things and take their stuff. So, so, you know, this heavy entry game may not be something that they want to do. So, uh, a session zero is, you know, almost everybody knows, but it's a session where basically you make characters uh, together usually. And what that helps, that does, it helps give uh, connections to each other's characters. And then you have a reason for the group, the players, the characters have a reason for adventuring together. Not just that you guys meet each other in a tavern and all of a sudden trust each other wholeheartedly and are willing to turn your back with somebody armed to the teeth with all kinds of weapons, which probably would not be very realistic. No, but people forego the realistic of that idea because they want to play, right? So when you meet at a tavern and you're all basically don't know each other because you guys don't have any backstory, you know, you're doing that. You're you know, foregoing reality of that situation because you want to play. And there's a bulletin board, and you, oh, this old wizard wants something uh, found at, in a cave. Let's go do it, guys. Sure, let's go. So you know, you're you know, you're putting your hat, your life in these, your character's life in these other characters' hands, and you have no reason to do something that crazy. Then again, some people say that characters in fantasy games are crazy for doing what they do right instead of having a nice job farming muck and stuff they just go out there and try to kill monsters so know your players i think it's really important that that, that happens at least have a conversation with them i mean obviously your she this young lady already knows her players because she's been playing with them for a while but the gm that was running her game he might have a you know he might want to do certain something specific and if she's basically doing it for him or her then you know probably ask him you know, what kind of game he wants to run or play in. That's what I meant. So I have number four. Players do weird things, right? As soon as the game starts, some of them, you know, who who might be really straight, narrow type of player, you know, all of a sudden with their, their in front of you, you know, a new GM, and they act wild. Let them go act wild. You know, you can't control things, and you can't make them do stuff. Let them, you know, wander around a bit. Don't be worried about that. Another thing I, I was along those lines was uh, the idea of, of to keep the game moving is the idea. And you know, this is, comes from the OSR, which is, uh, I remember we talked about this, and it doesn't seem very OSR-ish, but the idea of rulings over rules. I did tell her this lady who had uh, asked a question or for help or advice. I said, you know, 
when you're running the game, try not to come across a rule that you don't remember or don't know. You make the ruling and you keep going. You don't stop the game and look it up because that really just that staggers the play. It staggers the play. It, there's if there is a flow to the game, if it's flowing good, it's going to just you know, stop it in its tracks. Everybody's going to okay, so so what are people going to do when you bust out the rule book and start looking things up? I hate to say it. Some people reach for their pocket and grab a phone and start looking. Oh, let me Facebook. Oh, let me check my email. Or, you know, that little gap in the in gameplay is going to cause people to, to break immersion and break concentration and, and tune out of the game. And if you're gaming and things are happening, and that's part of GMing. That's part of GMing is making a mistake. And then I think your players, if they understand your your, your first time GMing, and even if you've been playing a long time, I've done this, and it's I've been like I said, I've been running games for twenty years plus. I'll make a mistake, but I'll just like I'll tell my players, look, I'm never, I'm not against you. I'm not playing. It's not me against you guys. I'm here to have fun. I'm here to make to try to make. I'm here to. Help you have fun? Help the players have fun. And I don't consider killing or slaughtering the characters having fun. That's just not part of the game. And my, that's not where I am come from. I mean, it's I don't run the, you know, what do you call those? Total party kills? <laughs> I've never had a total party kill, but I don't run games where the intent is to kill the characters. Like a Tomb of Horrors type of game. Players knowing that, when I make a decision, usually if it breaks, goes against the rules, for me, it's... it's Sometimes rules just to balance the game, no matter what game it is, to balance the game, it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. Well, it's just because if we did this, then, then it wouldn't account for this. And there's all kinds of game balance rules that don't make sense in the real world. And so what I, what I do is like, well, it doesn't make sense. And is it kind of realistic? You know, and so I, may, I do that when I run my game. And then some players, it really chafes some players, right? Really chase those players that want to play by the book, you know. And I do this in Shadowrun quite a bit because Shadowrun is extremely clunky, right? And extremely chunky, whatever rules chunky, whatever you call it. I go, well, okay, just instead of you know going through the rigmarole of all this other stuff, roll this, roll that, and then and then you know you need this many hits in Shadowrun. Fine. Well, it, it you know the the hackles it, it raises the hackles of this other player who well that's not the rule that's not what the rule says it should be. Okay, I'm not worried about that. I want I don't want to stop and have to read the book and that's a freaking big book. And stop the flow of the game because of of, of the way the <clears> game <throat> is supposed to be the rule the way the rule is supposed to be done. Instead I'm I'm going for simplicity of play. I'm going to make sure that everybody at the table stays immersed in the situation that's going on. And anytime you stop the game to open a book, that messes that up. So I think that's that's a pretty important rule, and I put that at the end. Might be way at the top, you know, but but I well, think that's rule zero. Rule zero, rule zero is rule zero is that the GM can change any rules he wants, <laughs> and you should make sure that your players realize that. Especially if you're a first time GM, you can simply say whether you have a session zero or just at the beginning of the game. Especially if you know the people, you can say, "Look, I know the rules. You know the rules, but if I come across a situation here." I don't want to break the immersion, as Saul would say. Then I would, I'm going to, if the rule, if I pick a rule or say something happens and you don't believe it does, you can tell me later about it. Yes. You don't need to tell me at the table. Right. And just go that way, right? I think, I think ultimately, try not to be a jerks to each other. And I'm not a jerky GM. 
I'm not an, a- an ass. Oh, okay, I'm well, not an ass. But that... I'm not, I don't think I'm an ass to my players as a GM. I don't put – I don't uh, – I do put them in dangerous situations. But I don't <laughs> – well, they actually, they put themselves. I, just I put try them, not to kill them. I present the situation. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know where I was going with that. I don't know where you're going with that either. But So, so I'm, I'm trying to be fair. That's ultimately – I want to have fun. I want to have fun with my friends. And being jerks to them and stuff like that is not where I'm coming from as a GM. That's what I was trying to say. I think the most important thing to remember, since we're getting close to the end of our thing, is that is that so you're running a module or an adventure. You have a story in mind, right? right? So the story is is basically what happens at the table. So don't think of it as your story. They're doing it wrong because you're not writing a book here. You have it's a narrative, right? You present the situation and your story is going to change. So just have the idea of what, where you start, where you end, and let it kind of flow from there, right? It's a shared storytelling. <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, I, many times when I run my adventures or come up with my own stuff, and I have I come up with these grand ideas and and I in in my mind and in when I'm writing it, I imagine I imagine what the players or the characters are going to do in whatever you know from Situation. point A to point B from from getting the 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 quest or the whatever the the adventure is to the resolution of that adventure and i have this idea of what happens in between they're going to go here they're going to go there they're going to do this they're going to do that and then they're going to get to the end and everybody's going to be happy it never happens the way I think of it in my head. Sometimes, sometimes I might get lucky and I and they'll do certain things that I thought they might do, because I know my players. I'm, I know how they think. I know, you know what they like. I know what what to dangle in front of the kitty that's gonna make them gonna grab it. Because sometimes they are like cats. They, they I know what they're gonna do. But then, like a cat, they could just stare at you and look at you and going, "Human, I'm not gonna play your game." And that's sometimes that's what happens. Or they're gonna be, or they're gonna be enticed by something that I had no idea that they would entice them, and then they go chasing that ball and that rabbit or that mouse or whatever you want to call it. And I think that's important that you gotta remember that this is a, a role playing game, and and characters and players have a, have the ability and the right to do anything they want. And if it throws you for a loop, you have to roll with the punches. And I think, I think, unfortunately, it's a, it's, a, it's a, somebody we were watching on television said. GMing is like anything else. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And I think that's totally true. And one of the skills that you develop as a GM is... Yes, dear? <laughs> I blanked out on it. You know when you're spontaneous? What do you call that? Oh, improvisation. Improvisation is, is a skill you definitely need as a GM because things are not going to go the way you thought they were going to go or the way the module was written. And so you got to learn to roll with the punches. You got you got to be able to, to react to what the characters are doing and the players. And you know, that's a tough one because improvisation is like it's a weird skill to have, but if you're if, but if you can kind of get that, then you're on, you know, you're going to you're on the road to becoming a really good GM because that's what GMs have to do. They have to react to things that they didn't expect quickly and if you can really build on that skill and there's all kinds of things you can do you can read books you can go you know if you live in a big city they have you know comedy clubs that do improvisation uh, uh skits or learning and all kinds of things if you go to a convention a lot of conventions now uh, have improvisational seminars 
I know if you're in the Bay Area here, uh, Karen Twells and Sean Nittner, they they both do, you know, uh, from Big Bad Con to Kublai Con. I don't know if they go to Denjacon, but they'll do seminars on how to how to do improvisation, and I think that that can really help in GMing because it's an important skill to have. And just remember, after your first after you run your first game, yes, you're gonna think that it was bad, possibly, and it probably wasn't. No. People are going to, you can just ask the players if they had a good time. If they had a good time, it was a good game. Right. And, you know, and if you make a mistake, and as like and like I said, everybody does, big deal. You know. Don't worry about it. Just keep doing it. Yeah. Because the more you do it, the more fun you're going to have, the more fun your players will have. It gets a little easier. And, and if you're playing with a bunch of GMs, you can ask them individually or collectively. I would ask them individually because collectively you might be overwhelmed. <laughs> but they can give you, oh, I would have done it this way. After I the went, game. yeah, after the game, email them, say, what did you think? What, what, how can I say, how can I improve? And then just don't take anything personally that they're going right. to tell you. Yeah. And, you know, because they're going to try agree. to help you. And a lot of times when people try to help you, it doesn't. When you read it or you or you hear what they're saying, you might it might make you uncomfortable feeling, yeah. you know, because you don't have a thick skin, right? A lot of people don't, but I think you're right. I think it's very, you're opening yourself up for a lot for when you ask for feedback. And I think. So make sure you ask the right people for feedback. Well, like I said, you know these people and you've been playing with them. So if there is a jerk in your in your game, you don't, 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 you don't, don't email that person, yeah. right? You email the people who, who are thoughtful and not really super judgmental and are not vindictive or mean. And so not that I would want to play with those people, but every once in a while you play with people like that or they have that streak, you know, don't email that person. Email the guy or the woman who's like thoughtful is always, you know, uh, what is it? when you're, I don't know. I can't think of the compassionate. word. Compassionate. It's compassionate, but, you know, positive, you know, somebody who, who could give you positive criticism. You know, uh, positive feedback. Positive feedback. Not criticism. Uh, you know, constructive criticism, there but you go. positive feedback. Somebody who's thought up thinks about you know about things and is just not gonna say, Well, game sucked, honestly. And if you they know, do, just yeah. brush it well, off. If somebody and move says on. that, then you just ignore that because that is not exactly helpful in any That in isn't any way. helpful in any way. Anyway. Well, but, how could I have improved it? Yes. You know, you know, I don't yeah. know, you suck at the GM. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of anything really. Well, okay then I really didn't suck. But but there are people like that, but hopefully you don't have that kind of you know, people in your group. And more than likely they're more than willing to help you get better at GMing because if you're actually running a game for them and they like to play, they're more than happy to keep you behind the GM screen. Absolutely. So they can play more. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul Angeline. And you have a good day.